Nick. Hello, Steve. You're right. I'm all right. How are you? We're not together. No, I'm in. I'm in Italy. I'm in Gallipoli. Oh, so, like, you're you're prioritising having a holiday with your fiance over spending time with me talking about science. Well, it is the summer, Steve, and wow. you know, it's nice to have a holiday from time to time. And I am at the moment on my holidays in Gallipoli, which is where my student Edo is from. It's his hometown. All right. Did he give you some good pointers about where to go? He did. Not not only that, but he's he's arranged for us to go to his dad's restaurant tomorrow night. No so we're way. Go and eat some delicious seafood in um, in this restaurant. So I can't wait. Ah, how's it been so far? Enjoying Italian uh, food? Yeah, I love Italian food. Just yeah. like filling up all the time, getting are you, fatter. Are you missing science? Uh, no. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Plenty of time. Plenty of time for that when I come Yeah. Back. Well, but, I've been in Italy and I was in a place uh, called Lecce yesterday and there was, uh, there was a street named after Marconi. Should have heard of Marconi. Oh, that's good. Yeah, he did the first radio transmission, didn't he? He did, he did. So Italy has a load of good, famous scientists of the past. And um, it's just really nice to be here um, getting sunburned. Really nice. Have you got a nice bit? You've got a typical kind of British uh, tourist tan already, have you? Um, I wouldn't, I'd say it was a violent red tan. A violent red. <laughs> okay. Did you wait till you got a bit burnt before you put suntan lotion on? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. We should do something on suntan lotion. It's quite, there's some quite interesting chemistry in suntan lotion. But maybe another time. Should, yeah, I, I need to learn about that. Maybe we could also do something on ibuprofen and inflammation. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like you might need that too. So, Nick, we've got a bit of a different podcast this week. Is it really different, Steve? Well, it's a little bit different because I, I well, we've been editing it and there's not much science in it this week. You know, Steve, it's the summer holidays. People wind down during the summer. We've yeah. had a little bit of a break from each other. Yeah, and, that's true. Um, it's good to it's good to like mop up all the pieces and put them all together, my little conversations. And it just so happens, if it so happens that there's not a vast amount of science, it doesn't matter, does it? It is true. That is true. I'm sure. I'm sure the listeners will enjoy it much the same. But don't worry. So, we'll, yeah, our regularly scheduled programming will resume. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, should we should we crack on with it? Let's do it. Bunsen, Dolly, Internal, Why do we need Petri, Oscar, Isaac, Transplanting? Nick. Well, what you got for me, Steve? I notice you've got something in front of you there. What is this? Um, Do you know what? So last week, just wanted to so so before we get into the science, I just wanted to talk about something a bit kind of topical because I thought you might be, it might have something interesting to say. Is it Donald Trump? No. Well, in a way. Is it um, fire regulations? In a way. Um, is it relating to... I don't know. Okay. So today, uh, last week was the 48th anniversary of Apollo 11. 48? Is that notable? No, but it's topical. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just... I was kind of thinking about it, right? And it's nuts. And I was listening to um, someone on the radio talking about it. And they were saying that the, the world's... The global computing power... Of of the Saturn V of the um, uh, of the moon lander and the Saturn V rocket. The global Sorry, computing the global power. computing power, like a all of NASA's capability at the like, time. At, yeah, but on the whole in the whole world, it's so way com- way way less, orders of magnitude less well, than your prob- smartphone. Yeah, I'm not surprised. 
But so basically we built the still the biggest, the most powerful machine humankind has ever done out of slide rules and like, you know, just what's the biggest, the most powerful the machine? The Saturn V rocket. Was it really? Yeah, most complicated, mo- most moving parts, most powerful. So was the Saturn V rocket the one that took Apollo 11 up? Exactly, yeah. And that was done basically nowadays. If you were to recreate it, you could do the whole thing with a smartphone. Oh, well, the, the, the entire, yeah, well, easily. You could con- you could control yeah, everything trivial. with a smartphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they weren't, I think part of it was that they weren't so reliant on the computers. That's it was true. more mechanical. Isn't it just amazing that we did, that we, like, I think 40, like nearly 50 years ago, we like had the technology to do that. It just seems nuts to me that that it's that it would even be possible. It's quite comforting to me that you can do stuff like that really without computers or with minimal yeah. processing power, because it just means that you can build mechanical things which will behave in a way that you will expect without having to have this massive brain. There, exactly. It. There is other examples. So the Cassini um, uh, probe, which is going to crash into Saturn in the next couple of weeks or months, I think. I thought everything's bloody crashing into planets yeah. all the bloody time. But, but What's going on? <laughs> There's another one. Something crashed into something not long ago. Yeah, So, they, but they, designed, they, they, set <laughs> they, they set them off. <laughs> they set them off in 1993, the Cassini. Is it uh, when they machine. don't work? So they send them up and it's like, oh, but another Switch one's not work. Okay, well, it's Plan B. What's Plan B, mate? Yeah, we're gonna. You know crash what Plan B? It. It's always the same. The plan B. <laughs> always the same. That's the beauty of Plan B. It doesn't require much planning. <laughs> Why do they yeah. keep crashing stuff? Well, into I think stuff? You, they learn stuff along the way, and then the final. And they're like, "Fuck it." <laughs> Exactly. It's like at the end, it's like the kid takes over and it's like, <laughs> can we crack it? Can we crack it? Exactly, yeah. But think about even that, right? So, so imagine the, like, I mean, the computation power we had in 1993, obviously much less than today, but they had still, they still had, you know, thought about the mathematics enough that you can, if, if you set something off today and it was going to crash in like 20 years' time. Yeah. Like, think of them, think of how delicate those, this, the, the, well, that, they did that with the bloody, like the Voyager missions. I mean, they true. were all, they were, I mean, the Apollo 11 was, was a much more, I mean, that was had to be much more accurate. Well, yeah. I don't know, because they had to, you know, I don't think it happens, do <laughs> So the thing went all you know, the way you know up into the sky. my mother Seriously, she winds me up. I don't blame her, she's right. Uh, yeah. I think she's probably right. It went all the way up into the sky. Yeah. Up in up there, quarter of a the million moon, miles away, a little thing comes off it. Yeah, it goes down, <laughs> like controlled, and then lands. <coughs> yeah, and then a little man gets out. Two little men. Hang on, a little man gets out, walks around. As a little, yeah. Two little men, right, whatever. Yeah. Then they get back inside, <laughs> and then they shoot off again. And they re they re uh, in, they still they re engage with uh, Michael Collins or whatever his name was. I find it very difficult. And then to they believe. come home. The I don't. Home. I actually don't blame people who. I have conspiracy theories about it because it is so mind-bogglingly crazy just, to think yeah. that you can do that. You know, it's it's, it's I, crazy. And then you think you're talking about the Voyager missions as well. I mean, they had to be fired off in like exactly the right direction at exactly the right time, time. Yeah, to be exactly. kind of slingshotted around because they went around the houses first didn't exactly, they? They yeah, had to, to get enough to get enough speed yeah to, yeah it'd yeah. be like saying okay you're going to go to Inverness okay well first of all we're just going to nip to we're just going to nip to Paris we've got to go <laughs> to Paris just to warm up a bit yeah and then <laughs> Moscow and that's the best route for you guys <laughs> yeah but we, there's no controls after we set you off so no exactly point you. <laughs> right, uh, and go yeah I'm sure it'll be fine um 
Yeah, but I suppose that the, the, the final point in Voyager was a little bit less defined. It doesn't matter. It was, you know, they know roughly where they're going and then it was just going off and out of the solar system. Whereas here, that's a bit different in, to, in say, the Cassini mission or, or, or in Apollo, where they're actually trying to rendezvous with a specific point, um, i.e. the moon or whatever. Yeah. I just think it's amazing. I just feel like it's the last time we, like, reached for something we didn't deserve. Is there any, like... Are we just talking like two morons in a pub here? I mean, just is there any more scientific insight? Than no, no, that was just it. Just <laughs> morons in a pub. amazing. I just think it's amazing. That's it's amazing. All right. Do you want to talk about some real science now? <laughs> hey, Steve. Uh, are you heavier in the morning or the evening? <laughs> well, it depends, doesn't it, on a lot of different things. So when you go to bed... Yeah. You wake up in the morning. Without eating or drinking or anything. Because you've been asleep. Right. You get, if you get on the, you get on the scales... Well, you're you go, certainly going to be lighter in the morning than the evening. Why are you lighter in the morning? There's several reasons. You you, you will trans... W- liquid will transpire from your skin. That's true. And that's, also, so that's about, so you're so breathing, you're metabolising, and you're breaking materials down and breathing out carbon dioxide. So you've... Yeah, you've got it. You've, you've, you've totally stole my thunder, because that's exactly right. So Okay, great. Well, let's move on. <laughs> So do you know the, the proportions of those? So, so proportions the, of what? So, so roughly, it depends. On, so, they, if someone is about eighty kilos, they will sweat. They will lose about two hundred and fifty grams in in an eight hour sleeping period. Wow! So a quarter of a kilo. Yeah, and about one hundred and fifty. That's like a half a pound. Uh, yeah. About half a pound. That's a lot, man. So about one hundred and fifty grams of that. That's like comes that's from like sweat. Five bags of bumper crisps. Exactly. Five big bags of prawn. Well, like spay- ham- yeah, exactly. Um, so about 150 grams of that will come from sweat, right? So you're just like sweating, and so that and then um, that just evaporates. Yeah. We were, if you ever slept in a really cheap tent, and then you wake up in the middle of the night and it feels damp, and that's because that's your own that's sweat. Because you've been excited. Yeah. You've had your big copies of Big and Bouncy out in the night. <laughs> <laughs> well, you may have had different camping trips than I've had. Um, but the other one that's interesting is so this is what this is where it comes from, right? So you breathe in O2 oxygen. And you're breathing out CO2, carbon yeah. dioxide, right? Yeah. So roughly, in every breath, is about 0.1 of a gram of carbon, right? So O2 to CO2, so there's an extra carbon there. So you're breathing out carbon that you ate. Yeah, basically. you can think of it, I kind of think of it as you breathe in the oxygen, and then a carbon sticks to the oxygen, and then it comes out again. That's Because it. it goes from O2. Yeah, you're burning sugar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so just, just, It's like the oxygen goes in, takes a carbon, off the yeah. sugar and it goes back into the air. Yeah. So so you're breathing exactly. So so about every breath is about point one of it. So ten every bre- breath you take is point one grams of carbon. Oh my god. Um, this is yeah. Terrible. Yeah. So it's interesting, isn't it? Like um, that you're about about hundred grams. I think just comes from the from so breathing makes you lose weight. Ten, well, every it, time you breathe in, you know the trick is I've always thought yeah. to to losing weight. It's breathing. It's eating a bit less and just breathing a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> if you breathe more, yeah. Well, think about well, t- ten it. Bre- ten breaths. Ten breaths. That equals that. That's a gram. You do exercise. You 20... speed up how much you're breathing out, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so that's all go. basically. That's all. That's all it is. You know, I'm really glad we sorted that one out. So it's interesting. So, we so, should start up a motivational so, video. So here, go, here, go, here goes right. Let's don't take... eat. Don't eat. No. Okay. Don't eat. Breathe. Don't eat. So that carbon. <laughs> Don't eat. Yeah, that, that has concluded concluded our extensive six week course <laughs> on on weight on weight loss. The science shed weight loss program. <laughs> Move more, eat less. Any questions? <laughs> Fifty quid, please. Uh, um, yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah. <laughs>
breathing. I like cricket. I need it. We spoke about it before, remember? We spoke about Clippy. Clippy, yeah. So I'm not going to... Podcast four, something? Mm, well, mm, don't know. I think it... Mm, <laughs> I like, 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 like you'd be... If I, I could totally guess that, and if I got it right, Nick would be really impressed. But I think, I think it wrong. might be, actually. Yeah. I think you're right. So, um, cricket. Cricket. I watch cricket, and I was watching it the other day, and I was thinking, do you know the rules of cricket? Uh, kind of. You're not a sporty person, are you, I hate Steve? sport. Yeah, you're so not much of a man like me. No. I'm a man because I like football <laughs> and cricket. I've got a beard though, so yeah, I that's how I make this. <laughs> but it would be a, like then a fisherman's be a be- beard. But then you'd be a better man than me. It grows on the on my sort of my neck, <laughs> and not so much on my face. So I end up looking like I've got a big hairy helmet strap. <laughs> right. Sort of strange simian character. Okay, so the fact like, let's stop insulting my manhood. Anyway, I'm a real on. man. Right. I watch cricket. I was yeah. watching cricket. And do you know that the bowler bowl? Have you heard of the bowler? I, I know what the, the bowler bowls it to the batsman. Oh, I know that. Yeah. And the batsman has to hit it. Right. And if he hits it, he can run between the wickets. Yep. All right. So if he hits it, the fielder runs after it. Got Let's it. say he runs two runs. Fielder throws it back. It's two runs. Yeah. Hits it a bit further. Runs three. Can run three runs. Yeah. Hits it a bit further still. It hits the boundary. It's four runs. runs. Okay. So I was watching cricket and I was thinking, I wonder, right. <laughs> If if they Where got rid of the, if they made the size of a cricket pitch infinite and there was no boundaries, right, like the universe, how often would something which have scored a four by virtue of it getting to the boundary, yeah, how often would the batsman be able to run five? Right. And what would the average number of runs be in that situation? Right. right. If it so got to so, so, and and thinking about that, sometimes if you hit a a ball to the boundary yeah. and you get four the field is quite close to it and it goes quite fast yeah. so the batsman might only be able to run two runs so sometimes the boundary you know you, you change and other you times change you hit it game. a long way you might run six runs you change the game because presumably there's no point putting someone to catch to, to uh, you know if to, to, to stop the, the ball and throw it back. So you'd have so in my world, what yeah. I would do, I would say, well, the fields have to stand within an area that's traditionally within the boundary rope. Right. But there's no boundary, and what you'd do then is you'd calculate. Does this mean that batsmen have to be fitter because they have to run more? They would, yeah. But let's, let's not worry about it. That's another okay. assumption. Right. Okay. Let's assume that there's no decrease in how quickly they can run. Right. So I was thinking about whether you could do this, right? A statistical you could test. It. Test. So what you'd do is you'd 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 have to make some assumptions. You'd, you'd look at TV data. Yeah. And the batsman would hit it, right? And the fielder runs in a direction to try and cut off the ball. Yeah. All right. So what you'd have to do is try and calculate, you know, he'd run slightly more, you know, beyond the boundary to right. intersect the ball beyond the boundary Got traditionally. It. How many runs in that case would the batsman run? The central question is... Is it worth if them no, running? If would they get no, more runs for... No, if there's no boundary rope... What's the average number of runs that would be run have, had the ball crossed where the boundary rate would have been? Does everyone at home understand <laughs> that? Do you? Do you? I think. <laughs> I think people can get the gist if they know. Yeah, basically. I mean, let me let me let me recap so to understand it. Oh, please do, Steve. So what you're saying is that is that the 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 ball can can hit the boundary, right? And when it does that, 
you ultimately get four runs. Traditionally. And then you're saying, but but did, could that person run for actually get four or five or six or, you know. Yeah, if the field has to run after it the whole to go way. Through. So what you want to know is, is there a difference? It, what is that statistical yeah, difference will it be between, av- is it so actually worse? Does it work out is at an average of four? <laughs> is or is it going to be a bit more than four? Closer I, to five? I don't know. What, have you got any, you should, you'd so have to I know the, av- okay, this is how you have to I work that. You have to know the I average distance. That I actually that think it will be quite close to four runs. So I do. Because it's probably just someone just made it up, right? When they were making up the rules of cricket. Yeah, I think it'd be close to four runs because, some, like I say, sometimes the batsman can hit the ball very hard indeed along the floor. So yeah. we're, to- we're ignoring sixes here. Yeah. We'll come to that in a minute. So it hits it very easy. And I can tell you're excited, Steve. Hits it very hard yeah. along the ground. And sometimes the fielder, he would have stopped it, but because it's going so fast, the interception of him and the ball is slightly beyond the boundary rope, and he can't cut it off quickly. So he's enough. like, I'll leave it, it's fine. So, but in that case, because the ball's going very quick, he will cut the ball off, because he can go beyond the boundary to pick it up. So the batsman oh, no, may this only is, run This is two. in your pseudo-universe. Yeah. So the batsman will only run two. Evans Cricket 2.0, exactly. yeah. So he hits it really, batsman yeah. hits it really hard, it's going to the boundary rope, the fielder no longer has to try and intercept the ball before the boundary rope, he can make run slightly further and cut so it off later you'd have to but know the balls, hang on the ball's going so fast that so w- what you need to know is you need to know that you need the distribution of the average distance uh, a, a batsman can hit a ball and what you need to know is that and and once you know that mean value and that's probably determinable you just get you know your favorite batsman and get them to hit 20 you know 100 uh, balls then that tells you how far away that ball's going to go on average, right? And then if that distance, and then you'd have to randomly sample, you know, f- fielders to be able to go and get the ball and throw it back, and then you could compute the probability of. But it's more complicated than that because it's a dynamic thing. Because the field, as soon as the ball's hit, yeah. the fielder will choose a line. But judging, a judge, hang on, judging on the, the speed the ball's going to intercept that ball at yeah. a given point. But that's so going to be the same. A there's, the, uh, there's a given density of fielders, right? So, so on average, they're always going to be you'd, some you'd, distance you'd assu- away from the you'd ball. You'd assume a conventional field placing. So there's always going to so be an average number of people and an average distance you have to you run. You might have a 7-2 field. Yeah. So we, we, let's, let's not do so this in two, two 2D. Let's just imagine this in one dimension first. This is how, how physicists think, right? right? Let's do 1D, right? So you're well, just 1D hitting doesn't ball. work because the ball will go straight to the fielder because he's on the same line <laughs> as the ball. <laughs> That's true, all right. Let's not do a radial. We don't have to do it kind of... I think you... I think you... Yeah. I tell you what, let's keep this in mind. Okay. okay. I think I think we shouldn't talk any more about this now yeah. because it's it could be very technically confusing. Yeah. But why don't we? Why don't we try and write a paper on it, Steve? <laughs> we could. Why yeah. don't we think about it over a year or so? Yeah. Now and we could then. do some I could do some Monte and Carlo let's simulations. Get, let's try and get a paper out of it, published in a real journal. Yeah. All right. And let's try and just do this. I'm up for it. Bring it on. <laughs> What's annoying Nick? Nick. Oh, what's going on, Steve? You know, we've spoken about the gin revolution before. Oh, God. I found something for you that I think you're like. I need your biological biological knowledge. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm just a humble chemist. So I wouldn't understand these things. Mm. But there's a, there's a gin distillery in Cambridge called the Cambridge Gin Distillery. I hate them already, Steve. Right. They're Sorry, Cambridge Gin Distillery. So, so the I'm Cambridge not into gin. <laughs> I think you're just shysters. So just get yourself some Gordons and I'm gonna do something t- else. I'm going to tell you about that. They're innovating in the world of gin, and oh, I, want, I need your help. Yeah, yeah. So this is a joint venture of experimental Copenhagen-based Nordic Food Lab and the world's first gin tailor, the Cambridge Gin Distillery. See, I immediately want to 
bomb this factory. So this this gin's called anti gin. Right. Now anti gin uh, uses uh, Formica rufa, the wood, the red wood ant found in forests of northern hemisphere, um, are inspiringly sophisticated creatures. They communicate using a host of chemical pheromones, which allow them to form immense uh, colonies housed in large mounds, and they defend their complex communities by producing formic acid in their abdomens and spraying it in the direction of the invader. Do you want me to... I've got some relevant experiences. Let me keep going. Let me going. Lucky for us, these compounds hold great delicious potential. Hmm. Formic acid, the simplest carboxylic acid with the chemical formula HCOOH, that's correct, Hmm. I'll, I'll verify, is a very reactive compound in alcohol, serving as an agent for producing various aromatic esters. Furthermore, many of their chemical pheromones are the same volatile molecules which we perceive as aroma. Through distillation of these wood ants, we can explore the tasty universe of these naturally occurring molecules and reactions, capturing the flavours of this fascinating species. Well, they've got a good sales pitch there. So I'll give them that. And it, you keep going on. It says, um, each bottle of anti-gin contains the essence of approximately 62 wood ants. Oh, that's nice. So, so it's, it's actually a- actual organic they wood was, ant They distillate. was an ant in, in a distillate, uh, and then they distilled it. Well, this is this. What do you I, think about that? Well, I, I basically told him because I just wanted Nick to get angry about it. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was I, I was more angry before you I, you read that out. Right. But okay. the reason that it's not, I'm not so angry is because I I recently went to Finland. Right. For a conference. Finland. 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 No one says Finland. Finland. Yeah. <laughs> That's that Come famous um, composition by that famous Italian composer uh, right. Grieg, wasn't it? Finland. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Finland. Yeah. He wasn't. He was from nowhere. Right. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But um, yeah. So You're I was. Finland. My friend Nick. Hello, Nick Walters. Doctor Nick Hello, Walters. Nick. He's a friend he's, of the show. Yeah, he's a scientist in um, Tampere University, which is in Finland, where I went recently. And after the conference, which he organised, he took uh, me and um, a PhD student of mine with his wife on a camping trip Okay. in the sort of um, boreal forests wow. of Finland. It was great. It was really you amazing. You quite like camping and that kind of I stuff. Love, I love camping and I love walking. And yeah. I love the great outdoors. And um, while we were walking through the woods, his wife, Anna, Anna I think you pronounce it Anna, it's spelled. Anyway, she, um, she, there were loads of these mounds around yeah. so they were ant mounds big mounds of material with ants swarming all over them wood ants right and i had not seen this done before she is obviously someone who's grown up with strange trolls in the woods yeah, yeah, yeah. and been exposed to the magic oh did she get the, the little white the little white um pupa the the baby the what do they call them no ah <laughs> she got a stick a twig yeah and held the small twig above the ants and the ants would crowd underneath the stick and they spray the stick with formic acid. Right. And then she'd lick the stick. It, and apparently it's a refreshing thing to do is wow. to get sprayed a stick with formic acid and then lick it. It I sort of freshens would, your mouth. I wouldn't like to do that with actual formic acid. but Apparently yeah. that's all right. I mean, maybe it's just very dilute or something, yeah. but it's just a piquant. I right. didn't didn't actually Did you try. Well, we couldn't get it to work properly. It was uh, a bit disappointing in the end. Ah, uh, so it was but all. But yeah, but I can understand that. I mean, people are going to. The thing about all of these gin and distilling crazes, isn't it? I mean, you just get it's just flavored gin. You squirt <laughs> a bit of formic acid, and you got some gimmick. Oh, that's the terror dance in every bottle. Well, how much would you pay for the uh, for the honor of a bottle of anti gin? What seventy cl? Seventy cl. 
£9.99. It's more than that. How much is it? £220. Well, I mean, anyone who buys that is the dick. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, so, uh, okay, so let me, before we just kind of don't mean to trash all over, okay, uh, the, the, I suppose it's interesting people are trying, they're, they're trying on some level to kind of communicate yeah. to be some, they gave you the chemical formula of formic acid. They've right? got an idea, right? So they're trying. Yeah. And, it's, and I like that. I respect that. And, and, and I they, support that. There was that. some stuff, and I agree, you can make esters out of them and things yeah. like that. I'm sure that's true. That's true. I mean, and, and it's it's a lot harder to create and make something successful than it is for me to say, <laughs> you're a wanker. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting. This so kind of respect to you guys. I hope you're yeah. very successful. I won't be purchasing a but bottle. Maybe, but maybe they could send us some. If they're listening, they're not going to send us any they're not, now. Well, they send me told. some because I was talking about how great they are and how amazing they were, and Nick hated it. So I'll just have a nice GNT. I'm always willing for my mind to be changed. <laughs> Backtrack. <laughs> Steve, there's another one done. That's another one done, and that's the, the the No Science Science podcast this week. I know it's funny looking back on that. It is funny being Italy now and hearing about the cricket because they don't play much cricket in Italy, do they? They don't play much cricket in Italy. But you know what I did on my holiday in Italy last week, Nick? No, I was sat about and I was listening to the podcast because I was editing. I was just checking all the levels and everything. And I thought, I yeah. thought I kind of mentioned that I might be able to. We might be able to answer some of those questions you were talking about with the cricket, um, the the simulator. So I've written a cricket simulator, a Monte Carlo simulation for how for to to for, to, to simulate the cricket we were talking about. Shouldn't it be, dude? Monte Carlo, shouldn't it be a San Marino simulator? Wouldn't that be more apt? <laughs> we would or maybe be. even a Vatican, Vatican City one. Yeah, well, like. well, the thing is, that so Monte Carlo simulations, and I'm sure for those that don't know, is essentially a tool used to be able to kind of write um, a probabilistic simulation in a computer. So what I've got is I've got a little th- little uh, cricket pitch, and I can like tell, um, you know, I just need a few parameters from you, and then we can run this simulation for proper. I need to know like how on average, how long on average a, a batter hits a ball. Um, but I haven't got any fielders in it yet. I haven't written that simulation. So I think next time on the science shed, I'll show it to you, and we can record me running it, and then we can actually use that to explain a little bit how people do simulations. Because it's always a bit weird, isn't it, when when people say like, "Oh, I've simulated it." It always seems shrouded in kind of mystery, but it's actually really simple. It sounds awesome, man. Have you got like a little taster or teaser that we could put out there? Yeah, I've got. I've got. It doesn't look. To be honest, I, I won't. I won't lie to you. It's not the prettiest of simulations. It doesn't look so beautiful. It's all numerical, really. But it does, you can see a little. I made a little cricket pitch. I had to look up the dimensions of a cricket pitch and the 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 boundary and everything. And it draws a little line when wow. it when it hits a ball. It looks like wow, a kind sounds of. Awesome it looks like a really shit uh, like pong game from the eighties. Is what it looks like at the moment. Pong is still fun. Yeah, and that, to be honest, that's the kind of level that science is at in comparison to computer games. We're like 20 years behind the state of the art, basically. Oh, well, well there you go. Anyway, <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I'll, I'll enjoy seeing that. I can't see it at the moment because obviously I'm in Italy itself. But that's maybe when true. I come back, I can have a little check and, and like our listeners, see your Monte Carlo simulation. 
And we'll see whether we can build on it over the next year or so. Yeah, well, maybe we can make it more sophisticated and write a paper. <laughs> we can try. Well, yeah, but we, the, the paper's been accepted now, Nick. Our yeah, paper. Have you revised it? No, I haven't done that yet. I've got to do that. That's on my list of things to do. <laughs> There's only like two things to do. I know, I know, I know. Um, but I've, I've been away for a week, so I've got like a thousand emails. Anyway, if people like the science oh, show, right. they should contact us, shouldn't they? They should. I'm at the Evans Lab. And I'm uh, at Steve the Chemist. Um, and uh, they should interact with us more. And they can tune in in the next two weeks when we'll be back to the standard science show that they know and love. Anyway, should we sign out? Yeah, goodbye, everyone. Arrivederci.